Good evening. I want to read a scripture here real quick. It's one verse. And it's in Psalm, one, uh, Psalm 35, verse 18. I will give you thanks in the great assembly among the throngs of the people. I will praise you. So I will give you thanks in the great assembly among the throngs of people. I will praise you. That's what we're here tonight. You know, I, I heard one, one preacher say one night, you know, that we have angels in here too. And we're in the presence of Almighty God. So let's sing like he's here because he is, right? Would you please stand? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for the blessings that you've given us. Lord, we want our focus to be on you. Lord, we know that time is getting short. We know that you're coming back soon to get your church. But you've also asked us to occupy until you come and to worship you and to honor you and to praise you in everything that we do. So, Lord, we choose this night to give you honor, to give you praise. Because you are Lord. Amen. You unravel me with a melody. You surround me with the song of deliverance from my enemies. Till all my fears are gone And I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child of God And I'm no longer a slave to fear I am a child
message tonight I just wanted to say uh, a shout out to the Lord and on Sunday night we had two that were baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues and God just really moved on them and one of the individuals uh, when we prayed for him he and John remembers he was there when that happened and uh, he fell back and goes what was that I said that's the Holy Spirit <laughs> so we explained to him the Holy Spirit and he talked about it being a joy, but also a reverential fear. So uh, that's what, you know, that's, that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So praise the Lord for what he does. Uh, we're going to go back into the book of Daniel here. I'm going to, we're going to read verses 1 through uh, uh, 19 and uh, kind of recap a little bit of what we missed uh, last Sunday night. So, or what we, I think we went over last Sunday night. So we're in Daniel chapter 9 in your Bibles. And tonight, uh, again, we're in a series called A Godly Man Who Remained Faithful. Um, and we're in that uh, title from last time, A Prayer of Repentance and Intercession. And we're picking up where we left off, but let's, uh, let's read verses 1 through 19 and then pray. Daniel chapter 9 in verse 1. It says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over, over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and in petition and in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. 
Oh, Lord, we and our kings and our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Upon the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has done what, what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet uh, we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought you your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the inequities of our Father have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation, the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this scripture tonight. As we study Daniel chapter 9 and we continue on in the study on prayer and what it means to, uh, to, to confess our sins before you. God, remind us that when we do that, you forgive us and you're faithful to forgive us and to cleanse us and to wash us of all unrighteousness. Father, give us understanding according to the Spirit. And Father, I get out of the way so you can speak. Say what you want to say tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So the, last week we looked at how Daniel had turned to God. Uh, we were looking at prayer. This is a prayer that Daniel makes. Remember, they're in captivity. and I'm, I'm sure how many of us, if we were in captivity in our nation, we'd be praying for our nation. It might change our perspective and how we think. And so Daniel turns to God in prayer over, over the situation of his nation. And we, again, I mentioned last Sunday, but we should be doing that for our nation. Uh, we, we need to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for the direction of our country and, the, and, the, and, and what the decisions that they're making. And, and the scripture tells us in the New Testament to pray for our leaders, that it may go well with us. Uh, the scripture also says if you have an evil uh, leader, things won't be good for you. But if you have a righteous leader, things will be good. So we need to pray for those things. And that's what Daniel did. He turned to God. He had a situation he couldn't handle. So what did he do? He prayed. And we went through that in James on Sunday nights. Prayer. There's something about prayer. That's our connection with God. It's fellowship. That's how you talk to God. How many of you guys talk just, just to talk? How many of you answer your own questions? Well, it's, if you can talk to yourself, you can talk to who? God, anybody ever do that? You, you know, you just mumble unto yourself and you answer your own questions. And then somebody says, huh, what? Oh, no, don't worry. I was just talking to myself. Daniel turned to God. The second thing, Daniel confesses to God. That's what we're going to look at tonight. So Daniel turns to God. Look with me real quick in verse 3. 
Verse 3 says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth, and in what? Ashes. Remember, we looked at this, and pleading means that he went before God with a desire. Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plead with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get it till you're my desire. And, and then with prayer and petition, petition means till you get an answer. How many of you guys have been consistent and persistent in your prayer till you get an answer? It's like, you know, the old widow, remember? She kept bugging the unjust judge to get, to get justice, and she kept bugging him and bugging him, and finally says, I'm not a God-fearing man, but this lady's driving me nuts, so I'm going to answer her prayer. He didn't say I was going to answer her prayer, but I'm going I'm to give her justice. How much more our Heavenly Father in heaven, right? So Daniel turns to him in pleading to desire him, to, to petitioning him, and then he does fasting. We talked about fasting. There's something about fasting that connects with God. It says no to the flesh and yes to the spirit. And then it says sackcloth and ashes, which is mourning over our sin, repentance. You know, not after 9-11, how many churches were filled with people? But how many of them actually repented? And we could just look over the last 20 years or 23 years and, and see what has happened since that time. And if our nation's really turned or if it's turned away. So Daniel turns to him, and now Daniel confesses. Look at me in verses 4 through 14. We're going to go through this slowly. So Daniel confesses the sins of his people be, uh, in verses 4 through 14. Look at Daniel chapter 4 here, or, or verse 4, I mean. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who, obey, who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. So notice Daniel includes himself in this prayer. He doesn't say they did this, Lord. He says we have done this. Again, I've shared 2 Chronicles 7, 14. How many could probably quote that scripture? 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will do what? Turn from their wicked ways, seek my face, and humble themselves. I probably got it all mixed up there. Then will I hear from heaven and heal their land, right? So that's what he does. He includes himself in this prayer. When we're praying for a nation, we need to include ourselves in that prayer. God, forgive us as a church for dropping the ball. God, forgive us as people of Christ or believers or those that follow Christ for, for not following the way we should or being that example. Notice he says something here in verse 4, though. Before he does any of this, what did he say? He says, oh, Lord, the great and awesome what? God. He acknowledges who God is. For us to get a proper perspective, not only who we are in relation to our sin, but to God, we need to examine who he is. Did that make sense? I, I remember one of my professors in college at Oklahoma Wesleyan University one time. He said, you'll never really truly understand what salvation is until you truly understand how sinful you are. Right? That he is an awesome God, and my, my uh, righteousness, says the Bible says, is but filthy rags in his sight. So he says, O oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps, now look at this, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. 
the wonderful thing about you and I tonight is we're in covenant relationship with God. We can claim those covenants. We can. Uh, Jesus, I'm born again. I'm saved. Remember me as your child, washed in the blood, forgiven, set free. If, how many of you guys understand what the covenant was in those times? The Bedouins over there in, in the Middle East still do this. And when they would make a covenant, what they would do is they would take an animal and cut it in half. And they would let the blood flow in between it. And the two people would speak the covenant as they were walking by each other through that split animal. And basically what they were saying is, if I break this covenant, let what happened to this animal happen to me. It's that strong of a covenant. Here over in the United States, we have, you know, we write it down on some kind of contract. How many people break their contracts? There, it's, you break a contract, this is what's going to happen to you. Now, God made a covenant with Abraham. What did God do? He had him split the animals in half, remember? And it said that the, that torch went between the animals. And, and Abraham was put into a deep sleep. God made the covenant. God said, let this happen to me if I do not keep my promises to you, Abraham. And so that's exactly what he's doing there. He's saying, oh, who keeps his covenant of what? Love. You and I are in a covenant relationship with him. And then it says, with all who love him and obey his commands. So Daniel reminds him of covenant relationship. He reminds God of who he is and that he's a God of love abounding in love, slow to anger, but then he includes himself in the sinfulness of it. So look, look, what, look what it says here. Daniel described how they had sinned. They had been what? Number one, wicked. It's, you know, one thing when I share the gospel with people, the hard part for them, to, some people, is to admit that they've sinned. Well, I'm a good person. I, I treat people good. And trying to get them to understand that in the core, all of us are what? Sinners, wicked. So he, he includes, uh, we've been wicked. Uh, look, they had what? Rebelled. That started in the garden. All of us, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but there was a young man that was up here in the parking lot yesterday. And I was wondering what was up here. He was playing some kind of game and they have to come up and have, they, they have a certain point where they have to go and play this game. And So uh, I'm up there and Stacy's sitting waiting in the car and I went to pick up a piece of trash. It was in the yard out here, and I went up and just started talking to him. I wanted to know what he was doing here, you know, and uh, started talking about the gospel. And I talked about the word rebellion. And the young man gave his life to Jesus yesterday in our parking lot. Yeah. His, I think it's Ian. If I, it, maybe Ethan or Ian. I think it's Ian. But, but it started with telling him that we're all rebellious. From the moment that we're born, rebel, we're rebellious. We're born into rebellion because it started with Adam and Eve. We're born into sin. So Daniel points it out. Lord, we've been wicked. We've turned from you. Remember, this was a nation that served God. Boy, doesn't this sound familiar? A nation that once served God that's not serving God? I mean, the things that are allowed here today would not have been allowed when you guys were younger. Think of the first, con I'm not going to mention it here because we're preaching and it's online and stuff. But think of the first thing that was controversial on TV. Maybe showing too much skin or something. I don't know. Only you guys would know that because that was a little bit before my time, you know. But, I'm sorry, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just saying it's the truth, right? 
How far have we come? And that's exactly what Daniel's saying about his, his, his uh, people. They were wicked. They had rebelled. Look at this. They turned away from God's law and commands. That you can do look at the statistics of it. When they took the Ten Commandments out of the school, the percentage of crime shot up the next year. The Ten Commandments or the Bible means a standard or rule or what we call canon. It's a rule to live by. And even, even if, even if they, it, it can't save you, it points to your sin, right? And, and how many of you grew up praying in school? You know, even in, even in the 90s at Tulsi Central, we would pray. They'd have a prayer in the morning. Or, or you, you know, do the Pledge of Allegiance under God, right? My mom talks about how they would do Bible readings when she was a kid. Not only prayer, but Bible readings in the morning. They'd have a scripture they'd say over the intercom. I'm using that as an example. What's happening to us happened to them. And so him, as being Daniel, as a godly man, is saying, we, Lord, we have turned from you. We've become wicked. We've rebelled. We've turned from your laws and your commands. And then, and then look, they did not listen to God's servants or prophets. They're not listening. Is our, are, the, are, the, are the nations listening? Is our nation listening? I'm correlating with us because it, we mirror Israel in a lot of ways on what's going on. So Daniel turns to him in this confession. When we confess to God, there's something powerful that happens. In fact, I don't know if I have it in the scripture. There it is. If we say that we have no sins, 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. What that basically says is somebody says, well, I'm not a sinner. Well, then they're not saved to begin with because the truth is not in them because the truth points to the fact that we are what? Sinners. But here's the wonderful thing. If, conditional, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Listen to the just part of that. To forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's a powerful scripture. There's, a, there's, a, there's some truth to that though. So Daniel knows if I confess my sins, God will forgive. If we confess our sins, what will he do? He'll forgive us. But how many of us beat, beat, beat ourselves up after we make a mistake? We call that condemnation. There's a difference between guilt and condemnation. Guilt or not guilt, condemnation, I'm, I'm conviction. Let me say it again. I'm glad I caught myself. Conviction, the Holy Spirit comes and nudges you. He'll speak through his word. He'll say, hey, you, you need to get this right. But after you get it right, guilt and condemnation come and say, see, look what you did. Well, I've asked for forgiveness. And so, look what you did. That's guilt and condemnation. And that comes from the enemy. Now Daniel describes their condition. Look at me in verse 7 here. He not only says what they have done, but he describes their condition. Lord, you are, a, you are righteous, but this day we are covered in what? Shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all of Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O oh Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. 
We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants and his prophets. All Israel has transgressed against your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. So not only does describe what they have done, but he also describes the condition that they're in. And it's interesting because some of these same things are mentioned in the verses I just read. Wickedness, rebellion, not keeping the law or the commandments, not listening to the prophets. Number one, they were what? They were covered in shame. Number two, they were unfaithful. The, the Hebrew word for shame here is bosheth, which means the feeling and the condition as well as its cause. By implication, specifically an idol, ashamed, confusion, greatly shameful thing. Did you get that? Notice the word idol is in there. In, that's the original definition of that word shame. It's the feeling and condition that you feel ashamed. You're confused. Anybody see confusion going on today? Man, I don't know what bathroom to go and do. Right? They can't figure out what they are. Depravity of man will do that. It'll literally make them lose their mind. And that's what the enemy does on us. He puts shame. They felt ashamed for what they'd done against God. And until Jesus comes and washes that, the worse you get. And I, I shared this last week, but it, it, how many of you have ever been stuck in mud before as a kid? You ever lost a shoe? You pull on it, all of a sudden, there goes your shoe. And then you try to dig for the shoe, and then you get stuck in the mud. I did that one time. I got stuck all the way up into my arm. My, my cousin had to help me get out because I wanted my shoe. I wasn't going to look because I knew if I got, lost my shoe, I was in trouble with Dad. It not only involves shame, but confusion. And that's what happens when we turn to idols. That's what happens when God is not number one in our life anymore. That's what happens when we turn from God. And we live in a wicked life and we rebel against him and we've turned away from what his word says. It brings shame. For the New Testament believers, Jesus took care of our shame on the cross. Look at verse Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising what? The shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The wonderful thing about us as believers under the new covenant, we don't have to be in shame anymore. Because he bore it on the cross. He despised the shame. Think about all the people that went before. How shameful they felt about their sin. But the minute you get saved, what does he do? He washes it away. I remember the day I got saved, it was like, whew, a lightness came over me. A load was lifted off of me. Shame will make you feel that way. It's a load. Look what you did. Did you see what you did, right? Again, that's shame, that's condemnation. The Hebrew word for unfaithfulness, now not only were they shameful, but they were unfaithful, is mahal, which means unfaithful or treacherous act, trespass, or falsehood. Now let me explain what it means by falsehood there. You've had a lot of religious leaders in Babylon that were taken captive. You had a lot of false prophets saying, oh, everything's going to be great and good, and yet through Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel... And Isaiah were saying, no, God's judging you. 
He's bringing judgment. So you had a lot of people that had a form of godliness but denied the power thereof that's mentioned in the New Testament. They were, there was a falsehood. They was masquerading, putting on a mask. Now, you guys know what masquerading is, right? In the old, in like back in the 1700s, they'd put these masks on and parties and stuff like that and, 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 and would cover up who they really were. And uh, how many of us do that sometimes? We put on a mask. Hey, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Well, how were you five minutes before you got to church? If you're blessed, hallelujah. But if you've had a bad day, or you've had one of these days, somebody asked me just before service, how was your day? I said, it was all right, it was up and down. Anybody have an up and down day? That's what it means. Falsehood literally means to be a hypocrite, to not be something, to be something that you're not. They were treacherous, uh, harsh, mean. And so he's describing their condition. Remember, they're shameful. They feel ashamed for what they've done. But at the same time, they've been unfaithful. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 through 13 says this. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I love putting something a little hard in there and then something a little light in afterwards. Did that make you feel better? <laughs> so Daniel describes their condition. I'm going to read it again. They were covered in shame. They were unfaithful. We already looked at this one. They were, what, rebellious in verse 9. They did not obey. They did not keep the law. They transgressed and they turned away. This was their condition. And that's where people need to get to a point where they realize that's where I'm at, God. Sometimes it takes somebody getting broken to the worst part of themselves before they can be fixed. Because they have nowhere else to turn but to who? But to God. I've known lots of people like that. It seems like, man, when are they going to get it, right? It's kind of like they're hard-headed. And it takes, it takes getting hit in the brick a hundred times, I guess. My dad always said getting hit in the, you know, smacking their head up against a brick wall about 40 times, you know. Anybody have a relative like that? I'm not asking you to tell me who they are, but anybody got a relative like that? You know, somebody like that? Or you have a friend or somebody, you know, that they're, they're kind of like hard like that. You know, they're stubborn. And it takes, it takes a little bit of uh, uh, coaxing for them to, to understand or to get it. That's basically what he's saying. They'd become hard-hearted. And we don't want to become like that with God. We don't, we don't want to be covered in shame. We don't want to be unfaithful to him. We don't want to be rebellious with him. We don't want to disobey him. Uh, we don't want to transgress or turn away from him. And the, the thing that scares me is I'm watching our nation do exactly what Israel did. And we, need to, we need to pray. We need to pray for our nation to come back. We need to pray that God brings revival. If you look, uh, my friend uh, Timothy Grove, he came here on a Wednesday one night. He does a whole study on that. He studied our past, and I, I've shared this before, but every time there has been a rebellious spirit in America, God has brought in a great revival. I'm praying for revival. We need a revival. We need a fresh move of God. During the Jesus movement, look at what happened during the hippie movement. You know? They were, they were searching some, for something, they just didn't know what. And then the Jesus movement came in, and God just began to move on these young people. 
And I think we need, we're, we're ripe for a fresh revival. We need young people to get saved. And, and not just young people, I think it's all ages, man. Some of the things I'm shocked by, I'm going, really? You know, people that know, should know better, right? So again, he describes their condition. Now the word transgress means sin. Again, Daniel does not sugarcoat their sin. When you go before God and confess before him, don't sugarcoat your sin. Besides that, God already knows. I mean, it's like trying to hide something from God. He already knows what's going on. Just be honest with him, right? God, I messed up. Here it is. This is what I did. I mean, could you, it's kind of like your kid. You know, I had my daughter, when she, I think she was like 10 months old, she grabbed a knife and went running through the house. And we never told her that it was wrong for her to have a knife. She just knew it was wrong. So what'd she do? She goes running, but she puts the knife behind her back like nothing's there. She knew that it was wrong, right? We know that things are wrong, and she couldn't hide it from me. I knew what was behind her. Guys, we can't hide our sin from God. What's done in secret will be made known in light, is what the Scripture says. He'll bring it to light. He will reveal it for what it is. So just be honest with them. I'd rather be honest with them now. How many of you guys know that as a kid? If you were honest... From the get-go, the punishment was less. And there were a couple times I would, no, that wasn't me. And boy, man, the punishment was a whole lot. And finally, it clicked on me Wait, one day. Just be honest from the beginning. It may hurt, but it's not going to hurt as bad as if you lie. Right? It's the same with God. Now Daniel's confession includes God's character. Let's go to verse 9 real quick. So he points out the condition of their heart, but then he turns back. I think he's not only reminding God, but he's reminding himself of God's character. Verse 9, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. He's merciful and forgiving. Look at what Exodus 34 verses 5 through 7 says. And now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there. And proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving inequity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. But he mentions him being what? Merciful. And gracious or forgiving. I am so thankful that God has forgiven me. I'm so thankful that he showed mercy. Mercy means getting something you don't deserve. You and I deserve hell. We do. We deserve hell. We deserve to go there for all eternity. But God was merciful. He gave us something we didn't deserve. He gave us eternal life. And not only was he merciful to us, but he was gracious. That means favor. He poured his favor on us. All of us tonight have God's favor. If you're born again, I'm going to say born again, all of us here tonight, right? Or if not, I'll have an altar call. Favor. God's favor's on us. Unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it, but he just gives it to us. Now, I call that a win-win situation. Not only has he been merciful to us and hasn't put us to where we were supposed to go, but he's also given us favor. 
Now that's a blessing. Look at this, he's long-suffering. How many of us know that God is long-suffering with each one of us? I'm so thankful that he's patient with me. So that brings up the question, how many of us are patient with each other? See, if it was our deal, zap them, God. Remember the sons of thunder? God, strike them down. <laughs> I'm sure some of you have thought that before, right? That's probably why you all laughed. But that's not the way God works. He's patient. Not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to what? Everlasting life. So he's long-suffering, patient. Look at this. He's abounding in goodness and truth. That's who our God is. And Daniel, in that scripture that we read, describes that about God. Okay, God, we've done this. God, I'm confessing my sin before. But by the way, God, you're loving and you're forgiving. You're merciful. You know, I, I don't think God gets tired of us telling him that. Some people are thinking, you know, isn't that a little arrogant? No, that's not arrogance. It's just describing who God's character is. God, this is who you are. Remember me, right? You have a bad week and you do things you shouldn't do. Respond to somebody you shouldn't respond to or act a certain way. Or, I don't know, you can think of a whole bunch of different things. The way, you know, I reacted in the wrong way with one of my kids last night. I had to apologize, right? How many of us have done something? Reacted in traffic, store, things didn't go our way, whatever it is. And yet God's merciful to us. I wonder how many angels are going, oh my goodness, did you just see that? Hey, George, look. <laughs> Remember, they're all around us. I, I'm wondering one day when I get to heaven, if he goes, yeah, you know this guy over here, he was an angel and he was standing next to you. I don't know if I told you this, but when we were in Washington one day, we were coming up to Wendy's. We had to go to a, a, a dentist appointment or something like that with the kids. And when that happens, you, you got to get lunch because, you know, kids eat. I never thought girls could eat as much as boys, but my girls eat like horses. That's on recording, by the way. I'm probably going to get in trouble for that. But anyways, so I'm coming up, and, and there's a, a lady goes like this, woof, cuts in front of me. Well, I didn't say nothing. I just said, go ahead, go ahead. But in my heart, I was going, Rrr. I kind of gave a look. Anybody ever give that look? Well, I was feeling convicted about giving that look, so I said, Lord, forgive me. I'm sorry. Didn't say nothing. I didn't say, I didn't say nothing. Didn't yell out the door. But it was my heart that wasn't right. So I get up to pay for my meal. The lady in front of me paid for my meal. <laughs> I felt guilty. <laughs> so Daniel's confession now includes God's judgment on Israel. We can't give the good without sometimes giving the bad. Look at verse 11 here. He said, all Israel has transgressed or sinned. Your law has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Notice they, it says they refuse to do what? Obey. Therefore, curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You will fulfill the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. 
Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. So Daniel not only says, okay, now I'm turning to God, I'm confessing my sins, I'm, I'm speaking about the condition of our heart as a people. I'm not only going to point out, God, that you're loving and forgiving, but I'm also going to point out that your judgments are just. You know, there are still consequences when God forgives. And we still have to face the consequences of our sin. Just like my kids, I'll forgive them, but there's still a consequence, right? Because if you don't give a consequence, then they don't learn from it. Am I right? There's no consequences today. No, 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 don't, 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 don't raise your voice to little Johnny. He might get his feelings hurt. No, 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 you just hurt the teacher's feelings for getting on to little Johnny. I'm just using this as an example because we're in a society today that nobody takes responsibility for their actions. He is taking responsibility for her, their actions by saying, we deserve this, God, according to the law of Moses. You said you were going to do this, and you followed through, which is a good testament to me to remind myself to be more consistent, to follow through, right? The same with God. God will follow through. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 19 through 20 up here on the screen. But I assure you of this, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be what? Destroyed. Just as the Lord has destroyed other nations in your path, you also will be destroyed if you refuse to obey the Lord your God. So he basically says, you did what you said you were going to do. I'm so thankful that God is a man of his word. God keeps his word. Can I tell you about our nation? Just because we're Americans doesn't mean God won't bring judgment. If we don't turn back to God, if we don't repent, if we don't start as a church to start living for him, judgment's coming. People don't like to hear that. Well, do you know what? The, the, the false prophets in Israel would always say, oh, everything's going to be great and good and perfect without any repentance. It was the only few like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Daniel and Isaiah that I mentioned that were the ones that were preaching, pre preaching against the masses, saying, no, you need to turn from your sin. You need to repent or judgment's coming. The same could be said for our nation, a nation that once served God and now is not serving God. We're what we call a de-churched nation now. I, I've shared this with you. I shared this when I talked about apostasy a few months ago. But, and, and again, people don't like to hear this, but it's the truth, right? I'd rather tell you the truth than, than not tell you the truth as a pastor. But you look at our nation, it, it follows Europe a lot of times. And about 20 years ago, they did a study in Scotland and Great Britain, and only 3%, only 3% of the population were born again Christians. That was over 20-some years ago. And they were turning churches into pubs and in apartment buildings. And I remember telling my pastor, I bet you that's going to happen here one of these days. And you know what they're doing now? They're turning old churches, especially out east, into apartment buildings, storage buildings, restaurants, and pubs or bars, 
bars and grills. We're following them. And this is where the Reformation started in Germany in 1517. We, we as a nation, as we read Daniel, we need to look at our nation and go, man, we need to do what Daniel's doing. As believers, God have mercy on us. Now, the curses and judgments came on them, and we mentioned that, and I already mentioned the scripture, but go with me real quick to Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28 in your Bibles. Let's look in verses 15 through 45. These are all the curses for disobedience. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. Uh, Moses says this to him. He talks about blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience, right? Uh, You do right, you'll get a reward. If you don't, you'll get a spanking, right? Verse 15, however, if you do not obey the Lord your God and do not carefully follow all of his commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will be upon you and overtake you. Look at verse 16, look at this. You will be cursed in the city and cursed in the country. Your basket and your kneading trough will be cursed. What he's talking about is food, okay? The fruit of your room will be cursed. Uh, and, and you can go to countries that God brings judgment on and you'll start looking at these things. Uh, drought comes, right? Food is, becomes scarce. Drought and fire and storms and it wrecks the crops, the second thing it does, it, it, it affects the, the growth rate of them having babies. Nations that are in judgment, their population begins to decline. You can do a whole study on it, and it's going, wow! Well, you know that God judged that country, and you go down there, and you'll start seeing these things. So the fruit of your womb will be cursed, and the crops of your land, and the calves of your herds, and the lambs of your flocks. You will be cursed when you come in, and cursed when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion, and rebuke and everything you put your hand to until you are destroyed and come to sudden ruin because of the evil you have done in forsaking me. Now Moses is prophetically speaking of what was going to happen to Israel. Do you think God knows everything? He knows the beginning from the end. Look at verse 21. The Lord will plague you with diseases until he has destroyed you from the land you are entering to possess. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, with fever and inflammation, with scorching heat and drought, with blight and mildew, with, which will plague you until you perish. The sky over your head will be bronze. The ground beneath you will be iron, meaning that ground will be hard. You can't plant anything. The Lord will turn the rain of your country into dust and powder. It will come down from the skies until you are destroyed. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. And you will be a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on the earth. Now, it's interesting because, you know, since World War II, we have not won a war. Let me make you think about that for a second there. Verse 26, your carcasses will be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And there will be no one to frighten them away. The Lord will afflict you with boils of Egypt and with tumors and festering sores and the itch from which you cannot be cured. The Lord will afflict you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. At midday you will grope about like a blind man in the dark. You will be unsuccessful in everything you do. Day after day you will be oppressed and robbed with, with no one to rescue you. You will be pledged to be married to a woman, but another will take her and ravish her. 
You will build a house, but you will not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, but you will not be, uh, be even given to enjoy its fruit. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, but you will eat none of it. Your donkey will be forcibly taken from you and will not be returned. Your sheep will be given to your enemies and no one will rescue them. Your sons and daughters will be given to another nation and you will wear out your eyes watching for them day after day, powerless to lift a hand. A people that you do not know will eat your land and, lay, and labor your labor produce and you will have nothing but cruel oppression all of the days. The sights you see will drive you mad. The Lord will afflict your knees and legs with painful boils. They cannot be cured, spreading from the soles of your feet to the top of your head. My goodness, these are, listen to all these curses just from being disobedient to God. Now, if you had a choice, which one would you pick? I mean, I can keep going on. You want me to keep? Okay, I'll keep going on. All right, because we're reading the scripture. Look at this. The Lord will drive you and the king you set over you to a nation unknown to you and your fathers. There you will worship other gods of wood and stone. You will become a thing of horror and an object of scorn and ridicule to all the nations where the Lord will drive you. You will sow much seed in the field, but you will harvest little, because locusts will devour it. You will plant vineyards and cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine or gather the grapes, because worms will eat them. You will have olive trees throughout your country, but you will not use the oil, because the olives will drop off. You will have sons and daughters, but you will not keep them, because they will go into captivity. Swarms of locusts will take over all your trees and crops of your land. The alien who lives among you will rise above you higher and higher, but you will sink lower and lower. Hmm. That sounds pretty familiar right now. He will lend to you, but you will not lend to him. He will be head, but you will be the tail. That means that you will be the they will uh, they will be the lender to you instead of you to them. Do you get that? That means you'll be in debt as a nation. Verse 45, all these curses will come upon you. They will pursue you and overtake you until you are destroyed because you did not obey the Lord your God and observe the, the commands and the decrees he gave you. Boy, that's a sobering thought when I read all that. And you start looking at some of it and you're going, mm, Lord, forgive us, right? Bring us back. He can do it. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. I don't mean to be negative tonight. I'm not trying to be negative because it's a somber look. <laughs> I'm just speaking what the Bible says, right? And that's what Daniel was dealing with. Those are the curses that came on in Israel. In fact, those curses didn't end there. They rejected the Son of God, and those curses continue. They continued. Now, the wonderful thing is Israel's become a nation again, which is the God's clock telling us that he's coming back soon. And, and you'll see on Sunday, they're one of the most prosperous nations now in the world. But for how many years? 2,000 years. God had scattered them to what? The four corners of the earth. And they lived like this. They were, I mean, think about the Holocaust, how bad that was. Six million Jews. They say there were more than just six million. Think of all the people that died during World War II, just alone. All right, let's go on here. God uses discipline to correct his children. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at me in verses 7 through 11. God will use discipline to correct his children, but he will also use it to correct his people, right? The Jews are still his people. All right, look at verse 7. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? 
If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while, as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. How many of you got a spanking when you were a kid? Boy, wasn't that painful? You know what was more painful? The fear of getting that spanking. And then once you got it, it hurt for a little bit, but it was more the fear of getting it. But it was good, right? It was meant for our good. And that's what God does with his children. He disciplines us. He corrects us. He deals with us. And the same with his nation Israel. So God disciplines them, and he does it for their good so that they will reap a harvest of righteousness. All right. You guys ready to go on a little bit more? All right. Now Daniel asks God for what? Forgiveness. So first comes turning to God. The second one is what? Confession. God, this is our condition. This is where I'm at. This is what I've done wrong. And the next one is what we call forgiveness. But let me tell you something. There's no forgiveness without repentance. Repentance means to change the way you think and act and walk in that direction. It means you're going in this direction. God, I've done wrong. I've done wrong. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to start walking in the right way. Now, God will help you in the process. He'll give you the strength to do it. That's why the Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13, right? So Daniel asked God for forgiveness. Let's go over here to Daniel 9, verse 15. Look what he says to him. Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned and we have done wrong. Again, he's admitting it. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill, our sins, the inequities of our Father have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. And then remember in verse 9, he says, O Lord, forgive us. He confesses and says, God, forgive us for our sin. Just like when we've sinned against somebody else, we ask them to what? Forgive us. It's a release. God, forgive us. And here's the wonder thing about God's forgiveness. When he forgives, he what? He forgives and he forgets. The Bible says he remembers it no more. You and I remember, but he doesn't remember. I've heard that one story where the one guy kept saying, God, forgive me. And he goes, for what? For this. He goes, I don't remember that. Because that's what the Bible says. God forgives. So Daniel speaks of God's greatness. He speaks of his forgiveness. When we come to God, we turn to him, we confess, and we, for, we ask for forgiveness. Daniel asked God to forgive their sin and turn away from their wrath from him. How many of you guys do not want to be under the wrath of God? Amen. The first step in confession and the second step is asking for forgiveness and the third step is repentance. Confession, forgiveness, and repentance. Confession, forgiveness, and repentance. Listen to what Peter's word, Peter says here in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 through 39. Peter's word, you know, he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. He preaches the gospel to him, And it says this, it, Peter's words pierced what? Their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? 
Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of what? Your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I, and then he goes on to say, This promise is to you, your children, and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. So what's he say there? We got to repent of our sins. Notice there's that turning to God, right? And what does God do for that? He forgives us. Some of this stuff we know. How many of you guys know this stuff? How many of you know this, but then you're like, man, i got to remind myself of this. Look at 2 Peter 3.9. I read this earlier. I spoke this earlier. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient. Put your name there. He's patient with Marcus. You put your name there, yeah. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Finally, Daniel reminds God of his sanctuary. Let's go back to Daniel. We're almost done here. I promise you, I, even if you fall asleep, this will be in your mind. Have you ever watched a movie before you go to bed and it's in your dream? I'm praying that this is in your mind as you're sleeping tonight. It's called a subliminal message. <laughs> Look at verse 17. Now God, now Daniel reminds God of his sanctuary. Uh, now our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for the sake, O Lord, for your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Okay, so in the Old Testament, they had a sanctuary, a temple that they would go to. You and I in the New Testament are what? That sanctuary. We're that temple. So we could say, God, look upon me. L look on me, Lord, with favor. Uh, Listen to my prayers and petitions. Give ear, Lord. Look, look at the look how I look, look where I'm at. And you know what? God listens to those pleas. He listens to your heart. Hear the prayers and petitions of your servant for your sake, O Lord. Listen, it's for his sake. Right? It's for God's sake, for his name's sake. Whose name do we carry? We carry his name. Lord, have mercy. How many of you guys remember the old days when we'd have repentance services a lot? That might be something to get back to. The only problem is, is when you do those, how many people come forward? I'm just, I'm just mentioning that. I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. I'm not here to condemn. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just, I've observed over the last few years, probably over the last 15, 20 years. Am I the only one that notices that? So... He asked God to look on favor or grace on his sanctuary. And we can do that too. Under the, again, under the new covenant, you and I are that sanctuary. We're that temple. So look at 1 Corinthians 3, 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? In the Old Testament, it was a building like this. In the New Testament, it's you and I. It's us. That means when you go to work, you're that temple. When you're at the grocery store, you're that temple. When I went to the farmer's market this afternoon, I was that temple. Boy, I sure hope I lived the way I was supposed to. And I was. I was with my wife. She kept me in order. But I'm just saying that wherever you go, you're taking God's sanctuary with you. Have you ever thought about that? The Holy Spirit indwells you as the sanctuary. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
Daniel asked God in humility to give ear to his prayer and remember his city, Jerusalem. Guys, you can do that for your country, for your town, for your city, for your church, for your family. Look at verse 18. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. God, look at our country. Come back. Bring revival. Pour out your spirit again. Do a mighty work among us. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous. I love Daniel saying that. It's not because of who we are. It's not because of how good we are. It's because of who you are. It's all about you, Jesus, right? But because of your great mercy. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. God, we don't make requests of you because we're thinking higher than we ought to of ourselves, right? We're just coming before you humbly saying, God, hear our prayer. And then he says, O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Now listen to what the scriptures. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to the elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with what? Humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And then finally, Daniel once again asked God to hear, to have mercy, to forgive, and to act for his sake and theirs. And then next week, we're going to get into God's answer to his prayer. We're going to look at God's answer to his prayer. So, and, and that answer is speaking of the 77s, the 69 sevens and the 70th week. God gives him an answer, and he talks about the Antichrist. So we're going to look at a few things next week about that. Um, and I, I already finished that message for next week. So, yeah, so I'm excited about it because I honestly believe. We're, Stacy and I started watching. You remember the old movie, Left Behind? We started watching it, and I'm going, now, it's a little older, so you know some of the looks. are. But I'm going, wow, that is exactly what's going on today. And uh, I, I'm, if you get a chance to, to look up some of the things that are happening in the Middle East right now, they're, they're talking about how it's like a tinderbox right now. Do you know we started bombing Iranian targets already? Our nation has. I mean, it's just a, it's a matter of time. That's right. It is a matter of time. So we need to be ready. We need to get people ready. You have family members that don't know Jesus? That's okay. Share it with them. If they get mad at you, they, they're not getting mad at you. They're getting mad at Jesus, the one that you bear. I mean, do it in love. Do it with respect and gentleness. Don't be obnoxious about it. Or, you know, you, you ever get some of those people that are a little over fanatical on things and they're they kind of annoying, but don't be that way. But share the gospel. Let the Holy Spirit work on their heart. All right, well, love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that when we come to you, we could turn to you in prayer, confess our sins, and you're faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us and purify us of all unrighteousness. Father, I pray for each person here tonight, including myself and the youth and the kids. God, be with each one of us this week. Pour out your spirit on us. Give us divine appointments. Use us in a mighty way because we know the time is short. And we know that trumpet's going to call one of these days. And so we thank you for all this. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. If you need prayer, I'll pray with you. And uh, God bless you. Have a great week.